Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. In today's episode, Dr. Lynn Kohick and Serene Musselman are joined by Dr. Angie Ward. Angie has over 30 years of leadership and teaching experience in church, parachurch, and Christian higher education ministry. She earned her PhD in ministry leadership from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Angie is the author of I Am a Leader, When Women Discover the Joy of Their Calling, and she is the general editor of the Kingdom Conversation series. Angie is a sought-after teacher, speaker, and an award-winning contributor to Christianity Today leadership publications. Welcome, Angie. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Alabaster Jar. Yes, thanks for having me. So good to see you, Lynn. Yes, we were colleagues uh, for a little while there um, yeah. a couple years ago. And so that was really fun. And I got to know you, not just as Serene explained your genius, but also how much <laughs> you love uh, sports, which is kind yes. of fun. And uh, yeah. our, our uh, audience can't see, but you've got, I think, a Tar Heels uh, sweatshirt on. Is that right? I do. It's my brand new Carolina Blue, Carolina Tar Heels sweatshirt. I'm a Tar Heel wed. Uh, yes. And um, sports writer in a previous life. So yeah, and you and I have watched a number of football games while you were here. We have. We have. Yes. You uh, being a cheesehead. And, I, uh, yes, I, am. I know. And, and I'm a Steeler fan. And yeah. so, yeah, we have commiserated uh, yes, and celebrated, right. you know, that's right. Indeed. But but you wanted uh, to be a sports journalist and talk a little bit about that part of your life as we will eventually be talking about your book. I am a leader. But this part of your journey early on when you dreamed to be a sports journalist, talk a little about that time. Yeah, so I was, as you said, I mean, I've always been a sports person. I remember, um, I mean, grew up watching the Packers, but also playing anything with a ball or running, you know, in our back, our big yard growing up uh, in Wisconsin with a big um, yard and our, our grandparents field. And so we were always playing something with a group of neighbor kids, you know, and so always loved sports, played them in middle school, high school, a little bit in college, also liked uh, writing and was started, you know, in kind of middle school, high school, kind of discovered that part of things like our school newspaper and stuff. And then when I was, I think right before my senior year, I don't know, I think it was around 16. And I remember reading an ad in our local newspaper. Remember those local newspapers? And, uh, <laughs> but it said, um, do you like sports? Can you write? And can you use some extra cash? And I'm like, Yes, yes, yes. And so I answered the ad in our, our paper in our city of about 50,000 was looking for a sports stringer, freelancer. And so I started out just going in and taking calls from like high school coaches would call in their scores, you know, on weekends or whatever. And I'd take like the, the box score, the stats and just do a little write up. And then that led to more and more kind of assignments with them. And um, we were about an hour from Milwaukee. So when, I mean, I didn't cover like pro sports. We took that stuff from off the wire and from those um, reporters. Um, we didn't have our own dedicated coverage, but we had an IndyCar uh, race series that would come uh, to a track near my home. And so uh, would cover um, that event. So I got to talk to like Al Unser, senior and junior and AJ no Floyd. Way. I mean, yeah. And I was my, growing up with my dad, I became a IndyCar fan even before that. So that was just a thrill. So, so, and then I got to college and I started out as uh, English communications slash journalism doing 
sports running Chicago area for some stuff and sports information. Um, but then God flipped the script a little bit on me. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah you talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I don't know if you would call it a crisis of faith, but something happened in your early twenties. You, uh, you kind of were feeling um, a bit jaded maybe with the sports, right? Sports journalism, but also with your church or not with Christianity, maybe. I don't know which yeah. would be better, but to say, but yeah, what was going on at that point? Yeah, so it was my uh, junior year of high school. And I just remember I was at a or college, sorry, and I was at a Christian college and um but i saw a lot of things in my the world around me relationships around me people who claimed to be christians or to kind of speak for christ or represent christ um and there were very unchristian things in those environments so my path uh, my parents had divorced um our church had a split we lost um, four pastors in six months including my dear friends youth pastor and his wife and it was just very acrimonious i saw some unchristian things at my christian college imagine that you know and i just was like um and i was i'd been the good girl um i asked jesus to you know to be my savior kind of made it that kind of profession when i was um almost nine but then here as was at um almost 21 and was like yeah, no, I mean, I did what I had learned, which was kind of be the good girl and everything will work out. And I was like, I'm seeing a lot of like, that's not, you know, it was, it was, a, it was more a system than rejecting faith, you know, but I remember telling God that I was just angry and wounded. And, and um, it felt like he just said, this was like New Year's Eve of uh, Christmas of junior year of college or and Christmas break. And, and he just said, yeah, you're right. That basically that stinks. And um, he didn't, God didn't tell me believe more or try harder. He said, just get to know me for who I am. And I think you'll find that I'm faithful and just gave me that invitation. <clears throat> and that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to follow you. Um, and then as part of that, not long after that was, I was on that same break and I was doing my sports job coming back. And um, that's when I felt like God, that's the first, that, that break is the first time I remember hearing like, or knowing God's voice. It wasn't, wasn't audible, but there it was, you know, words to it. And so there was that piece coming to my faith. And then as part of that, I was, I was writing and stuff at the desk, <clears throat> sports desk. And I felt like God said, I want you to work with people instead of just write about them. <clears throat> Not obviously writing's great. I do that now, but I knew what it meant that I had been um, using kind of writing about other people to distance myself from relationship or for getting hurt, you know? And so and I had been a youth ministry minor, again, because of the influence and just the, the model of my youth pastor and, and some other ministry leaders that are in church and stuff. And so I just flipped at that point. I ended up with a um, basically a journalism minor and then youth ministry major and ended up pursuing that. And that's kind of taken me all these trails to where I am now. Yeah, yeah. And in, in your book, you talk about and even in the title of your book, I am a leader when women discover the joy of their calling. Mm -hmm. And obviously you had an encounter with God that directed your life from going from kind of one area of focus to concentrating on another. Could you talk a little bit about what call is? Cause I feel that's so important, but I feel the term is used in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, the way I define it, it is pretty simple. Like you kind of um, boil it down to, you know, its essence. I think it's a God-given conviction about your life's direction. 
And so because of that, like it's God given. So it's not always just, I want to kind of thing. It's, it's a conviction, like a deep thing, not just an idea, you know, or kind of emotional thing. And then, and it has the potential to change the course of your life. Now it could be, you know, small direction kind of things, but also can be a bigger thing. I mean, I think it, you know, um, vocation is another word I hear use. I mean, that's the idea of that is like from Latin for, you know, voca for voice. And so there is something about like living into like who you are as a person, not just something you do necessarily. I think calling can be related to um, your passions, certainly your gifts and talents take a part of that, but it also can be like related to your responsibilities, you know? So, so I have, um, I would say I'm probably most women have kind of multiple callings that we're doing. I mean, our ultimate call, initial primary call is Jesus saying, follow me. So I think there's a, and I think that we see this in scripture, there's this primary and secondary thing, like Jesus invitation to follow him. But then there's this usually more specific invitation to join him in his kingdom work in the world in various ways. And so, you know, I, I was called to the, to vocational ministry and, um, I'm a leader, you know, but I'm also a mom and a wife. And so, you know, all those things work together. One didn't replace the other or, you know, which was hard for me to, we may talk about this, hard for me to navigate because some of the circles I was in, that was the belief that once you had, I went to Sem Denver Seminary as a student before, way before I worked here because God called and led me here, not because I was married or looking for a husband or whatever. I happened to marry, meet and marry my husband here, happened to then have children. Those became part of my call and part of my life direction, but also, uh, and part of my ministry, you know, but I've had several different tracks or integrated pieces. And we may talk about this later, but I think for women, um, one of the most helpful things I've heard is for a lot of times for guys, I think calling or vacation, there's more of a ladder and there's kind of linear steps. And for women, it's, there's a garden and we tend to different spots at different seasons in our life. And when I first heard that years ago from a mentor who had heard it from a mentor of hers, it was just so freeing or it just kind of names sometimes the tensions I think I have felt and we have felt in navigating um, variety of callings and roles and responsibilities. Yeah, because we blend those often, right? So my responsibility yeah. and my role, uh, how does that fit in in this particular moment with this calling from God? You, you mentioned in your book, uh, call is that strong inner impulse to action. And I really liked that phrase. Is it, mm -hmm. it's, and it, it uh, typifies what you had just described about you heard God, but you heard God with that inner ear, with that inner mm -hmm. voice. We might call it with the heart or with the mind, with your soul. It wasn't an audible voice that somebody else just walking into the room might also hear, but that uh, it generated for you an action. And that's yeah. the other thing I think that call is not just like a category or a label or a job title. Mm -hmm. It's this impulse to action. I, I just really liked like that. And you've, you've mentioned also uh, the term ministry, and that's another one that, um, you know, gets, maybe there's layers of meaning in that mm -hmm. term, but it's used in a lot of different ways. Could you talk about that a little bit and include, you know, how you've distinguished sometimes for a man, this is what ministry means. And sometimes ministry is used in this way when women are being talked about. 
Yeah. Well, that's a lot to unpack. So um, yeah, I define ministry a lot more broad. I think um, when we, because I think it's limiting to many people, especially women who they're not, we view it as like a full-time clergy role. I mean, and that's what had kind of evolved into over really the course of church history. That's not how we saw it in scripture. There weren't, you know, paid clergy and stuff. It was, it was basically follow me and then follow me in the world, whatever, wherever I've placed you, you know? And so, um, and so people will say, well, I'm not in ministry because, and they, what they mean by that is I'm not senior pastor at a church. Or I don't work for a parachurch ministry, like you know, I don't work for Denver Seminary or Northern Seminary, and or I'm not a missionary, you know. And I'm like, you are you are in ministry as long as you have a kingdom perspective to the work that you you've you know set your hand and heart and mind to. And so, homeschool moms, business leaders, um, I mean, you name it, you know, professional athlete, I don't know, all of them can be viewed as an outworking of ministry as kind of for a kingdom influence kind of thing. Um, you had a question about men versus women on that, but I don't remember if I answered that. Well, I think, yeah, I think you're, you're pushing towards that because we tend to think of ministry as some kind of paid job. And when we do that, I think there's a, a sense in which if you're not getting paid for it, then it's not somehow real. I think we tend to devalue if it's not, um, paid. And so all this volunteer work that happens um and often by women in the church uh just it's hard to classify that as ministry right we tend not to really do that yeah i was um talking not too long ago with a a woman from that we'd been another church she was she had been um for a long time volunteer type stuff all in her community she was leading bible studies she was um, was like a youth ministry volunteer at the church, ended up being like part-time middle school. And now she was um, feeling uh, called into something more vo- like vocational ministry and, and was actually applying for a position at a church, which she ended up getting. But she was like, she asked me to look at her resume or CV and, and she just, she didn't, um, she only thought she had to put like paid full-time kind of things. And her last paid full-time thing was like a communications job right after she graduated from college. And, but I knew her, I was like, you have done all these things in your community. You've done all these things with parent groups. You've done all these things with like uh Coursera or walk the cross Emmaus, what, you know, weekends, all like you've been in all these different things. Um, and yeah, so we tend to think it's like, it's, it's better or significant or ministry or more important if it's like, the top of the org chart, or if it's full time, or if it's paid, and I don't, I don't think any of those have, have to be true for it to be ministry. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the final term that I think uh, is helpful for us to look at is the term leader. Mm-hmm. You talk about it as influence in relationship. What, what do you yes. mean by that? I love that. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so again, I get a lot of women in particular who say, oh, I'm not a leader. And by that, again, they mean I'm not such, we think organizationally or like some big system kind of thing instead of um, really, um, you know, when you, again, boil it down to essence, leadership be, is really based on influence. And so I've been in situations where well, we've all been, where people have, we go, who has the real power or the influence here? And it's not always the person who's the top of the chart or has the name or the title, Right. And so I think it's influence, uh, you know, in relationship. And so the, really the question is not 
whether you're a leader, because we all have influence or the potential for influence. And it's more like, how are we using that and how are we stewarding that? And so again, like, and we also think it has to happen in terms of like big groups. And so, um, you know, I have to lead a team or an organization and it's like a discipling relationship is an influence relationship. Parenting is an influence relationship. Teaching is an influence relationship, whether that's one-on-one or even, um, you know, even as a writer, I'm a leader through my writing, you know, and have influence on people. So I think we just have such narrow definitions of these things. And, and um, why do you think, why do you think that is? I mean, at times, do we like just not want the label leader? Are we worried about that? I don't know. I think so. I think there's a, well, sometimes it's, well, nobody said I could. So sometimes there, there, I mean, so there's a couple, you know, possible barriers to that. So sometimes it's like, um, uh, well, somebody said I couldn't, or I shouldn't, or I'm not allowed to. So there's that piece. But a lot of times the voices come from internally, and I'm not sure I'm, we feel ill, um, inadequate, which, I mean, there's precedent, hello, Moses, right, you know, and so, um, you know, we feel either ill-prepared or we feel inadequate more at a deeper personal level, sometimes because of those outside voices, sometimes just, you know, because we're it's new to us kind of thing, and so, and sometimes I think, you know, I've talked to people say, I don't want the responsibility, because it does come with response. It is an act of stewardship. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. That leads me to the uh, one, uh, one of the points that you make in your book, I Am a Leader. You talk about authority. I, I'm so glad that you bring up that, <clears throat> excuse me, that term. It's a loaded concept, this idea of authority. Uh, and I think that's often what is underneath the discussion about can women be leaders, quote unquote, but you connect authority with accountability. Talk just a little bit about what authority is for you and this notion of connecting it with accountability. Uh, yeah, so I think a lot of times we think of, again, like leadership and authority and, and authority, we talk about like, uh, we think of it in terms of power over. So who do I have power over? Who has power over me? And I think we just need to reframe this to, um, uh, and again, even looking at um, power as not just um, an authority thing um, over, but um, in, again, with leadership and relationships, so this idea of accountability being responsibility to and for. And so, and, and so it's like, who am I responsible to? And so there is some authority sometimes in these structures. And I talk about in the book, a little aside, that um, our God-given calling is lived out in the reality of human systems. And so there are these, again, God's not anti-authority. I'm not saying that that either, but but to flip it, to reframe it in terms of responsibility to and for. So if I'm a leader, um, uh, you know, of the doctor ministry ministry or a, a group or something like that, I mean, I have responsibility to those people and to the institution of Denver Seminary and to various constituents. Um, and for also to, um, or for those people and for what I've been called to steward. And I also have a responsibility to and for my calling within all of that. Um, and so I think we, uh, we tend to think and a lot of times listen to, well, you, um, 
you can or can't or, you know, um, power over. And I'm going like, but, but that's a poor stewardship of my calling. I need to do something different to steward my calling because I'm going to be ultimately answering for how did you use the things I gave you and called you to. So can I ask you something here? Um, uh, kind of a personal question. Sure. Um, can you tell us a time in your life where, and if not your life, maybe a friend uh, who got this a wrong. Friction, I'm putting quotes. My, yeah. my asking for a friend. Right? Yeah, there you go. That's right. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> where you got this wrong. Um, mm. where, where you did abdicate responsibility um, or where, you know, because it feels to me like as you're talking about these great categories, not, not only are they helpful from kind of a academic sort of sense, but, but it also feels to me like there's some practical experiential wisdom behind this as well. Has there been a time when you now look back and you think, boy, I just, I was a leader. I did not use my influence in relationship. Well, hmm. I didn't raise my authority. Well, yeah, no. And let me, um, I would say at least top of mind, first of all, it's for so long, I was feeling like I had, I had the message that, and I had to work through the message that something was wrong with me because I am a leader because of how, you know, and so, so I think I buried my gifts. Uh, and, and I think my steward, my lack of stewardship, and I'm sure there are other times, and I'm sure they'll come to mind, you know, maybe as we're talking here, where I've been responsible to and for a ministry or a person or that type of thing. But for me, a lot of times it's been burying my talents because I was afraid or, un, you know, certain or and had gotten the messages that there was something wrong with me for having those gifts. Like, you shouldn't have that. Like, I had stolen something or I don't know, you know? Serene and I have talked a little bit about this as well. And with other guests, I don't know, Serene, if you want to hop in. But yeah, that that idea of um, just uh, not wanting to embrace calling um, because you knew it would come at a cost of being... Um, pushed out of, mm -hmm. of your church. I know for me, just wanting to teach adult Sunday school with men and women, uh, was like, why do you want that power? I'm thinking power. I never even occurred right. to me. I, I just love to teach the Bible. That's what my job yeah. is, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, Serene, if you have uh, a story along those lines. Yeah, I think what you're sharing, Angie, is so relatable, specifically for women in ministry, which I think is what you're getting at a little bit is there's certain gifts that maybe we feel like, well, this isn't mine to have, or there must be something, there must be some mistake. Right. Um, I know but... this must have been addressed to the wrong person. <laughs> exactly. Somewhere, you know? Yeah. Do you have, uh, was there, what was the turning point for you? Like, was there a person in your life or an experience that caused you to step into those gifts or take, you know, overcome that feeling of uncertainty that you had to say, I'm ready to um, kind of take that courageous step forward into the unknown of what this means for my life? Did someone ha play, play an influential role in you being able to do that? 
Uh, yes to all. So, um, but it was about a three-year process. And so, and when it was in my early thirties, so we, we had moved from um, Minnesota to North Carolina. It was a very isolating season of life and ministry. We were at a very small struggling church. Um, I'm not really a little kid person. We had toddlers and a small church where a lot of times they were the only kids in the children's ministry. So I didn't have a lot of even parenting community, much less ministry stuff. But I was doing some youth ministry still and um, was at a big youth conference um, where I was on staff and it was like denominational thing. So at night you have 5,000 kids rocking out an arena, you know, with worship kind of thing. And I felt like uh, in the middle of that, I felt like all the sound just kind of went and God went like, this, this isn't you anymore. And, um, and I was like, Okay. And when, and I should say when, when God speaks to me and it's different for uh, different people, for me, it's not audible, but there are words. It's not just a sense. I feel like he's talking right behind, like you said, to like the ear of my heart or something. And so I, I always point to like the back of my ear. It's like, like he's whispering right to me, but it's so clearly for me. And it's always, if it's God, it's always accompanied by great peace, even if it's something that's uncertain or hard. So it's like, I want you to, you know, take this mountain, whatever I go. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I don't, and the first response is not fear. It's that comes like five minutes later. Usually. But <laughs> So I had that, that moment where God said, this isn't you. And I was like, what? Like usually it interrupts my thoughts, my thoughts too. Right. And God said, you've been doing this hands-on youth ministry thing really faithfully for 10, whatever, 15 years at this point, I'm going to call you, I'm calling you into something new. And I was like, great. What? So what is that? Hello. And then he didn't reveal that to me for several years. And so I was going like feeling the tension of, I know I was called in ministry, but I don't even know what that is. And is that gone? And if so, what, what does all that mean? And, and so it was a, a several year process of feeling stuck and kind of alone and journaling and stuff. And, and then I started reflecting on uh, just um, one day I was kind of looking back on different things in my life that had brought fulfillment or joy or affirmation from others, not, not in a, like, um, just a pat on the back, but like a deep affirming, like you're, you're good at this, or you've had an impact through this kind of thing and started realizing some, a theme of leadership. And, um, even when I was captain of the basketball team or a trainer uh, or manager at McDonald's, I mean, it's like the most random, it wasn't just, you know, again, ministry quote, you know, kind of thing. And times, and I was bossy as a kid, right? All, all female leaders, a lot of them then labeled a variety of B words, bossy being the, the nicest of. And so I was sitting in that in like a bookstore. Um, and I wrote down, I'm like, like God just went, you're a leader. And I was going, why don't I fit? And God did, this is why, because you're a leader and I made you different, but I made you to be this. And so it was, it was a change because it became an identity thing and not just a, can you do this? Can you not? Are you allowed permitted authority over, right? Power over. And so that's when it reframed it to an identity thing. I was like, wait, I'm a leader. And when I went, um, oh, I, I just see things differently because of that. I, I have these things are, I see systems, you know, I would be like the, and organizations and trajectories. And I'd be like, if we do this, it's going to end up this way. And people would go, no, no, they would dis discard, disregard what I was saying. And then those things would come true. And so I was like, wait, the, and God's like, I, quit trying to be somebody else or be somebody that I haven't created to be. You are a leader. And that was the, the point point when I started to live into it and be more, 
I would say bold, but also bold out of a centeredness, not just of pushing on everybody else, but going, this is who I am. And I'm not going to let anybody take that or tell that. I love that. I'd love for you to to dream with us for a moment of earlier, you talked about having a kingdom perspective. What do you think it could look like for us if all of us had that experience of what you're talking about, of leaning into our identity and into our gifts of how God has created us and with a kingdom perspective of it's not just about me, it's not just about pushing back on others, but it's about living fully into the way God has created me for this larger purpose of the kingdom. You know, what could that look like if that were to actually happen? Well, I think if we channeled some of our angst about permissions and took that and just started putting it done. Okay, well then I'll go where I have an open door and, or maybe I, you are called to push. I'm not saying you, you just, you know, uh, and there's other people, I'm a one on the Enneagram. There's others who are eights and who are like need to fight the battle, you know, and that, and lay the path. And, um, and so I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but I think sometimes we get very angry or angsty about stuff we can't control and there's a lot God has given us that we can tend to. And uh, we don't have the tap to have the top chair or the big voice or whatever, all those kind of things. And so, and stop looking at other women as competition. Stop looking at every, or at guys or sometimes some people, even every man as an obstacle. You know, it's like, no, what if we just viewed each other as you've got, the, as truly the members of the body, you know, like from Romans and Corinthians, you know, it's, it's like, okay. What have I been uniquely given to steward? Gifts, calling, passion, opportunity, whatever. And live into that instead of worrying about what we haven't been. Yeah, whether, whether it's one talent, you know, five talents, or, you know, two talents, five talents, and stewarding that. Thanks, Angie. Yeah, that is so good. You know, in your book, uh, you, you talk about the various, sometimes there's stages in a woman's life, uh, being single, being married, having children, that, uh, that their, their realities, um, their, um, or, or situation being in, in, um, uh, more traditional ministry, that sort of thing. What I, and, and that's all, that is fantastic. What pulls that all together is the last, uh, phrase of your book's title, when women discover the joy of their calling. And I know we're coming up to the end of our time together, but I didn't want to leave without you talking a little bit about why you used that in your, like what the joy of their calling. Um, yeah. What, what that sounds fabulous. <laughs> like something we'd want, right. You know, when we discover that, how, how does that happen? Discovering the joy of our calling. I think it starts with that, like recognizing our true and full identity uh, in Christ as a daughter, you know, of, of the King and also um, gifts and, and calling all that kind of stuff. And so to, to truly lead into that, it, it is hard work sometimes. So it's not just easy, smooth sailing, but there's a joy in, I am being me. I'm living into God who, who and what God has created and called me to be. And that's where the, the joy comes. And that could be, you know, um, you know, I know in my season of life, uh, you know, uh, middle age, you know, I've got a lot of friends that were dealing with aging parents. And so they're making 
their calling or one piece of the garden right now is for them. There are some of them there. They are um, parenting teenagers and uh, or, you know, middle schoolers, whatever, and also caring for their parents as they're declining in health or ability and that type of thing. And that's taking a lot of time and energy and sacrifice. But they're also saying, I wouldn't trade this opportunity as hard as it is right now. And I think that's true, not just whether with aging parents or whatever you go, I wouldn't this is super hard and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And that's where that joy comes, that joy yeah. of uh, this is where the Lord has me. This is how the Lord is using me. And it's good. In fact, it's very yeah. good because God yes. has made me this way. Yeah. And I and think it's of, deeply good, like that deep gladness that Buechner talked about. That was one of the original titles we talked about for the book was deep gladness, you know, mm. about following your because it is, it's this unshakable, nobody can take that from me. Yeah, because it's it's rooted in God. Yes. And in the promises yeah. of God. Um, yeah. And the I, I think of the promises that Paul will make in uh, Romans 9 or Philippians 3, that we will, we are, our life now is in that process of, uh, being conformed to the image of the sun, and we will be completely transformed uh, in the day, in the day of the Lord when he returns. But that that just um, uh, knowing how precious you are, uh, mm -hmm. that, that God is each and every day just with you and, uh, and, and moving you to that, that perfection, that completeness that he has always had in mind uh, in Christ. Sometimes when things get really hard, that's what you fall back on because that is solid rock. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes that's all you have to fall back on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I go back to my, you know, my initial experience with God when I was 21 and God said, uh, basically taste and see, you know, and like get to know me for who I am. And, and that's a grounding, it's solid rock, like you said, that's so different from circumstances or opportun what opportunities we have or not, or all that kind of thing. It's like, I, I will not be shaken. Yeah, I will not be shaken. That, um, that, that might be, uh, yeah, that, that that'll, might that'll be. Preach. That, that's that's say say, yes, that, that'll preach. Right. Yeah. That'll preach. And that, um, <laughs> you know, I love, I could keep talking, as you know, I mean, we have talked like the night away, uh, yes. at, at various yeah. times, but, uh, I will not be shaken might be the, uh, the way to sum up what, what mm -hmm. your book is. I'm a leader. When women discover the joy of their calling, yeah. I will not be shaken. Uh, yeah. relying on the Lord. That that's great. I can't recommend this book highly enough. It really, there's so many, it's the kind of book you read over and over again, because there's it, depending on where you are, certain things will mm -hmm. just rise to the surface. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for, heeding the the call or yeah uh, hearing hearing that voice and then uh living into it because that just models for the rest of us that that um that reality of the lord working in us yeah this is the it's the book that i didn't intend to write but it's the wish the book i wish i had when i was 20s 30s every season of life you know and so i talked to 50 different women in the book and go what is your experience with this? And so, you know, I, and I say this in the start of the book and to you who are listening, I just say, um, wherever you're at, like you are unique and you are not alone. 
That's good. That's good. Angie, that is really, that's really great. Thank you. Uh, I encourage everybody to, to get this, this book and let it um, just sink deep, wash over you, fill you up, all of that. Thanks, Thanks so much, Angie, for coming on the Alabaster Jar. It's been great to talk with you. Such an honor. Yeah, well, you need to hang out again sometime soon. I know. Yeah, I got to get myself out there to Denver. Yeah. And you got to come here to Chicago. How about it, Serene? It's really nice in February here in Chicago. Yeah, it's I beautiful. Was in yes. I was in Wisconsin a few weeks ago. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Come to the land of slush. <laughs> yes, in a flat land. I, I prefer, let's do June on Lake Michigan. That's going to be a little better. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We'll yeah. That. Thanks for having me. So great to see you guys. Thanks, Angie. You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast. If you enjoyed learning about Angie's work, head over to today's episode description for a link to her book, I Am a Leader. We upload fresh episodes every Tuesday, so make sure to subscribe so that you never miss another conversation with women as we discuss issues that impact us at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry.